Welcome to the Mindful Divine Podcast with your host, Shayna Bianchi. As a certified Reiki energy worker, a hypnosis therapist, author, and motivational speaker, I like to consider myself a mindful healer. I designed this podcast to give you a method to manifesting in order to transform your life and welcome the things you not only want, but deserve. Whether you're into alternative wellness or simply want to learn to be more mindful in your daily routine, I will equip you with tools, practices, and spiritual wisdom to align with your dream life. I'm here to remind you that there is more light within, and the power to beginning your inner journey starts right now. You take about 23,000 breaths each day and 8.4 million breaths each year. Each mindful breath is an opportunity to reset and return to the present moment. And because breathing is something that you do without a second thought, it's super easy to take for granted. And yet, in each breath, there is so much potential to shift the way that you feel and the way that you perceive yourself and the world around you. By bringing conscious awareness to your inhales and exhales and a mindful approach to your daily life, your potential will begin to run wild and abundance will come in troves. Jesse Israel, former record label exec turned mindful meditation leader, like he originally signed MGMT but was recently on tour with Oprah leading 15,000 people through meditations, is a founder of the mass meditation movement called The Big Quiet. I'm low-key obsessed with him, and you likely are now too, but Jesse talks a lot about noisy lives. He said from the moment we wake up, we are processing sounds and noises, which does so much to our psyche. He talks about how in ancient times, the amount of sounds and noises that a human would process in a whole lifetime, we process in one single day. With all of this coming in, our body naturally triggers fight-or-flight responses, which therein triggers anxieties and stressors. That's kind of terrifying. With all of these noises, luckily we can turn inward to meditate for calm. Practicing meditation tunes out that fight-or-flight response and turns on our parasympathetic nervous system, which, if you don't know, is sometimes called the rest and digest system. The parasympathetic system conserves energy as it slows the heart rate, increases intestinal and gland activity, and relaxes various muscles in the gastrointestinal tract. Ever get butterflies in your stomach when you're scared or nervous? That's because the parasympathetic system is not on, and instead that fight-or-flight response is triggered. So go ahead and return to breathwork to kick on that parasympathetic system and say bye-bye, butterflies. Listen, it takes courage to be quiet. It's hard to say no in a society of yes, 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 and more, more, more. Take permission to celebrate yourself in a moment of quiet. Let's do it together for a sec. Say to yourself, I am here and it's now. Inhale for three, two, one. And exhale for three, two, one. One more time. I am here and it's now. Listen to your breath. Feel your heart beating. Connect and ground down to where you're sitting, knowing that you are connected to the earth 
and all of its elements. Let's inhale together in one, two, three, and exhale, three, two, one. Good. You are now officially connected and switched on. Today's episode delves into mindfulness, what it means, how to achieve it, and the scientific health effects it can have on the brain, heart, and other key organs. You'll learn if you aren't practicing mindfulness throughout your day, you're missing out on an opportunity to improve every aspect of your life and how to say no and be quiet in a busy, loud, yes world. We'll hear from Dr. Dean Ornish and his research from 40 years of study boiled into four simple techniques you can use today to achieve mindfulness. And we'll learn about Thich Nhat Hanh, one of the world's most renowned Buddhist leaders, second only to the Dalai Lama in fame and influence, and his disciples' approach to mindfulness in a time of fear and anger in an effort to replace it with compassion and positive energy output for inner and outer bliss. I also quickly want to say thank you so much for listening to the show, for posting about it on social and reviewing it on iTunes. If you're liking the show, pause the episode right now super quick, go subscribe, rate it a five star, leave a quick review. It really means so much to me and it really helps to build our spiritual community. Uh, And of course, as always, don't forget to stay mindful and divine. So Dr. Dean Ornish, who is a world-renowned physician with a series of scientific research studies, he's really been empowering the way that millions of people think about the simple lifestyle choices that they make each day in dynamic relation to their health and well-being. He is a revolutionary thought leader. He's a professor, a beloved author, and respected advisor to some of the world's most powerful leaders. Dr. Ornish is recognized as this leader in health and healthcare and medicine, and he has the first program that is scientifically proven to undo and reverse heart disease by optimizing important areas of your life, which I'll get into in a moment. So he talks a lot about the fact that we're all part of something larger, that we're spiritual beings having a human experience. You've all heard that before, right? He's boiled down 40 years of study into four simple techniques. Eat well, move more, stress less, love more. Eat well, move more, stress less, love more. These four things can reverse and prevent the progression of some of the world's most common diseases. Yogis didn't perform these spiritual practices to calm stress or lower cholesterol. I mean, it can do all of those things, yes, but they are powerful tools for transformation. Plus, by doing these four things, it also gives you this sense of interconnectedness. Dr. Ornish and his wife wrote about this in his new book called Undo It, How Simple Lifestyle Changes Can Reverse Most Chronic Diseases. It discusses how a lot of the chronic diseases materialize and manifest differently in bodies, but they really are all the same. It's a pretty radical unifying theory, in my opinion. He was trained, like all doctors, to view heart disease and diabetes as different diseases with different treatments but there aren't different sets of lifestyle changes and choices. 
you know, you get sick, the doctor says, well, eat these healthy foods, try to reduce your stress levels and so on. The more you change, the more you improve. And I'll say this, this is for any age. It's never too late. Our bodies and mind have a remarkable capacity to begin healing much more quickly when we treat the cause, which is really boiled down to these lifestyle choices. It's important to remember you are not your mind. You are the observer of the mind. Mindfulness exercises have been around for thousands of years. The benefits of staying in the present moment have been recognized for millennia and have recently been acknowledged by modern science. Of course, it's important to define exactly what mindfulness is before we get into explaining why it's a critical part of a healthy life and how you can achieve it. Have you ever taken a walk on a beach or even in your neighborhood and felt peace and calm as you notice the birds singing or the smell of the flowers or that salty sea? In that exact moment, you were mindful. Mindfulness is simply the state of being aware, but not judgmental or analytical. You may be alert to your surroundings, but if you're afraid of them or even excited by them, you're not in a state of mindfulness. Rather, mindfulness is the act of simple awareness of the present moment without judgment. Matthew A. Killingsworth and Daniel Gilbert of Harvard University in Cambridge researched and showed that our minds wander on average 46.9% of the time. So most of us aren't even here. We're often somewhere else. Research shows wandering minds are likely unhappy minds with worrisome thoughts, something that has happened in the past or something that may or may not happen in the future. Something else runs our minds for us. What if there was another way? A way for you to tap in and redirect your attention into the present moment. Well, with awareness and mindfulness, there is. It's kind of like that quote from Mark Twain. He said, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which have never actually happened, which TBH I have to laugh at because it's so me. And it really removes the power of worrying by saying it out loud like that. Thanks for this, Mark, among other Huckleberry and Tom Sawyer-esque things. And uh, according to MindValley.com, which is a website curriculum designed to really Unleash the Fullest Potential of Your Mind, Body, and Spirit was founded by Vishen Lakiani. He has a rad story if you ever want to delve in. I'll link it in the episode notes, but he was basically this computer engineer and senior leader in this really quickly growing Silicon Valley startup, and he faced extreme stress. He was super burnt out, so he took up meditation as a solution, and it completely changed his life. He quit the valley to study meditation, teach around the world, and go into deep mastery of human development. And Mindvolley was really born as a result. So today, Vision is on this quest to remake how the world works in terms of business, politics, education, and spirituality. I'm here for it. So Vision says, if you aren't practicing mindfulness throughout your day, you're missing out on an opportunity to improve every aspect of your life. Which is a perfect segue into Method to Manifesting 101, a guidance segment providing you with specific tools and spiritual hacks to put mindfulness and manifestation into practice. So speaking of Mind Valley, they have three simple exercises that I love to do, and you can practice and achieve mindfulness every single day with these two. One, be mindful of what you sense, when to use it. This is a great exercise to do when you're feeling full of anxiety and stress. In those moments, you are judging what is happening to you and you're creating expectations about the future. 
Instead, focus on what is being used with your five senses. The benefit, you'll be taken out of your head and into the present moment. You'll be free of worry, free of judgment, and free of fear. How to do it? Choose an object near you that you can easily hold. Focus your attention on the object and say out loud if you can what you see. Describe the colors, the textures, the shapes. Don't judge it. In other words, don't say, I see a gross green color, or it looks weird. Only state the facts. Next, focus your attention on how the object feels in your hand. If you can, rub the object on your face or down your arm. Drum on the object or squeeze it. Describe what it feels like without judgmental words. Now smell the object and describe it. If you don't like the smell, don't say, that smells awful. Instead, use a comparison like, it smells earthy and old, like compost. If you can taste the object, do so. If not, close your eyes and focus on what you taste in your mouth. Maybe you can taste coffee or your lunch, or perhaps you simply taste the air. Describe it in detail without judgment. Finally, hold the object up to your ear and listen to it. Tap on it or shake it and see what the sound makes. Focus deeply and listen for even the faintest sound. Describe it in detail without judgment. Two, be mindful of what you eat. When to use it? Anytime you sit down for a snack or meal. This exercise is especially beneficial if you find yourself mindlessly eating while watching TV or on your phone. The benefit? Mindful eating actually helps the body digest food better. If you suffer from digestive problems, practicing this exercise can decrease your symptoms by helping your body tune into the digestion process. This exercise can also help you stay on track with your diet or nutrition plan. How to do it? Before you begin eating, look at your food and describe what it looks like. Describe the colors, textures, and shapes without using judgmental words. Next, smell your food and attempt to describe the smell without judgment. It can be tricky because you'll want to say something like, it smells great. Try instead saying things like, it smells spicy, earthy, sweet. Next, listen to your food. Is it sizzling? Can you hear air moving through it? Use your utensil to move it around. What does that sound like? I also do this thing where I think about the journey of my food and I think about that it started with a seed and then it grew into this plant or to this vegetable and then somebody picked it and then it went into a truck and to my farmer's market or to the grocery store and then I cooked it. I mean, the journey of the food and the ingredients is also really amazing and I try to thank each thing on my plate for its journey and for basically giving up its little life for me. Um, So then go ahead and take a bite of your food. Experience the food in your mouth first without chewing. Make a mental note of what it tastes like. Then slowly chew your food, taking note of all of the sensations. Notice how it tastes on different parts of your tongue. Notice how it feels against your cheek and on your teeth. Finally, swallow your food and take a moment to feel the food moving down your throat and into your esophagus. Don't take another bite until you've fully focused your attention on the movement and sensations of your first bite of food. Um, After you do, obviously take another bite, repeat the last two steps, but I do want to say that um, you're actually supposed to chew each bite about 30 times. That's how long it should take for it to process and to really get that digestive system moving and going. So do keep that in mind as you're eating. Number three is to be mindful of your breath. When to use it, 
literally anytime. The benefit mindful breathing is one of the most beneficial exercises that you can do to bring yourself into the present moment. It can instantly bring a sense of calm and peace even to the most stressful situations. The more you practice it, the better that you'll be. How to use it? Take a deep breath in and attempt to breathe out for the same length of time. Now simply focus on your breath. Feel it enter your nose, fill your lungs, and then exit through your mouth. Notice any sensations in your body as you breathe in and out. Just notice them. Don't judge them. Don't try to change anything. If a thought comes into your mind, let it pass without analyzing it. Acknowledge it and allow it to pass while bringing your attention back to your breath. Imagine that thought sort of just floating by on a river. Don't judge yourself if you get distracted either. Just let it happen and bring your attention back to your breath. Allow everything to simply happen around you. Acknowledge it and then go back to focusing on your breath. Here are also just a couple other tips to make mindfulness a nice little habit. By practicing these exercises every day, you'll quickly notice the positive effects in your life. The more you take time to practice, the more benefits you'll see. To make it a habit, set an alarm on your phone for three different moments each day. Pick a time when you know that you'll be busy or distracted. When the alarm goes off, excuse yourself from what you're doing and take just 10 minutes to practice one of the exercises above. Change your alarms every day if you can, just to find yourself um, really living in the moment. Otherwise, you might make excuses like, oh, it's not a good time or I'll do it later. So try surprising yourself with a random time like 2.43 or 10.19 a.m. If you do, you'll likely catch yourself in a busy moment where the exercise of mindfulness will come as a relief. It's important to look to various stories and ancient rituals of years past. This is a segment called Ancient Ancestors and will help us learn from cultures, myths, and those who came before us. I recall reading a really rad article on Vox, and I circled back to it for today's podcast. In the article, Vox spoke with a Buddhist monk who discussed mindfulness in times of conflict, something I think that we can all relate and understand in today's world right now. You may or may not be familiar with Thich Nhat Hanh. He's one of the world's most renowned Buddhist leaders, second only to the Dalai Lama in fame and influence. With his hundred plus books, he has been an advocate for mindfulness at some of the most fractious moments of the past 50 years. He cut his teeth doing human rights and reconciliation work during the Vietnam War, and then was nominated for a Nobel Prize by Martin Luther King Jr. No big deal. These days, and since he's passed, he's considered the father of engaged Buddhism. In the wake of 9-11, he spoke about compassion and has led retreats for Palestinians, Israelis, and American police officers. He wrote a Zen response to terrorism, and the former chief climate negotiator for the UN credits him with helping her broker the Paris Climate Agreement. Vox got in touch with one of his senior disciples to talk about the Buddha's psychological teachings on fear. And they ended up discussing a great many other things. Brother Fap Dung is Vietnamese-American who was ordained as a monk in 1998 and has lived in Plum Village for six years. He said in Buddhism, they see the mind like a house. So if your house is on fire, you need to take care of the fire, not go look for the person that made the fire. Take care of those emotions first. It's a priority, because anything that comes from a place of fear and anxiety and anger will only make the fire worse. 
come back and find a place of calm and peace to cool the flame and the emotion down. As a collective energy, fear and anger can be very destructive. We make the wrong decisions if we base on fear, anger, and wrong perception. Those emotions cloud our mind. So the first thing in the practice that we learn from the Buddhist tradition is to come back and take care of our emotion. He said they use mindfulness to recognize it. There's a lot in the world to be upset and angry about right now. But Brother Pfaff was asked if anger is a healthy reaction. He said that people are convinced that anger and all of its energy will produce change. But in fact, it's very destructive because you're opposing. Opposition wastes energy. It's not healing. Emotions can be good. Passion can be good. And compassion is very compassionate. But compassion doesn't waste energy. It includes and it understands. It's more clear. Engage in protest, but not from a place of anger. You need to express your opinion. You need to go out there and say this is wrong. But he says, don't do it by saying hateful things. In a way, he said that Buddhists look more at energy than personality, and it helps people to be wiser. I'm going to say that because it's pretty good. It says to look at energy over personality. Look at energy output over words or sides or causes. Let's say you're super passionate about one of the many issues that we're facing right now. Like it's hard to pick just one, right? But if you meet the anger and oppression with hate and anger and oppression, even if it's for the right side and the right reasons, the universe just picks up on that anger energy. You should instead practice compassion. Opposition without compassion wastes energy. Compassion is not sitting in your room either. It's actually very active and super engaging. We produce many, if not all, of the issues as a species. So we're all co-responsible. Our culture, our society, we made them. We love to pick an issue or a person and make them the object, but it's deeper than that. We have to see these issues inside of all of us. We're shocked because it's like we found out there's a member of our family that we've been ignoring. But it's time that we listen and really look at our family. We're afraid to engage, but if you can dialogue and debate, it's good. It requires a lot of practice to sit and listen and not judge so you can really try to understand. What's in my heart and what was in Brother Fop's heart, too, is the hope that people find the patience and clarity to listen before they start to blame and criticize. But right now, said Brother Fap Dung, people in our family are still there, and they might need us. Our friend may be somebody who is being discriminated against. You can only be there and offer support and kindness if you're stable. You cannot help them if you're filled with hate and fear. What people need is your non-fear, your stability, solidity, clarity. That is what we can offer. Our minds and our hearts need food, he said, and meditation is a kind of food. So we feed ourselves like that. You need to eat, and your peace, kindness, clarity, they all need to eat as well. Meditation and mindfulness is not just praying, but instead you're cultivating, so that way it can be offered to others. When you sit with someone who's calm, you become calm, right? If you sit with someone who's agitated and hateful, you start to become agitated and hateful too. Meditation is not an esoteric practice. It's not something you do only in a meditation hall or in a Buddhist retreat center or at a yoga retreat. It can happen literally in whatever activity you're doing, while walking, while doing the dishes, while watering the plants. It means you are there, present with calm and peace and without judgment. He goes on to say, with a breath, you can bring calm 
clarity, and rest to your thinking. The future is built with the present moment and how we take care of it. If you are fearful, the future will be fearful. If you are uncooperative, the future will be divisive. This is really important. The future is not something that will just come to us. The future is built by us, by how we speak and what we do in the present moment. Find your breath, find your mindfulness, and you will find the future that you want to co-create with your higher self. Buddhist monks are taught to embody mindfulness, not surprisingly, by embodying the breath. Mindfulness of breathing helps you rebuild your brain and calm your mind. When you don't tend to your breath, you suffer unnecessarily. You experience unnecessary stress and overwhelm and might even find yourself saying, I'm so busy, I can't even catch my breath. If you want to feel better, think better, work better, love better, you'll need to breathe better. Right under your nose, quite literally, you'll find the most effective tool that there is for shifting your state of mind and increasing well-being. By learning to use your breath as a form of meditation practice, you'll be able to encounter different situations from a more grounded and confident place. Daily life becomes a training ground for mindfulness meditation with each deep breath. We are all meditators waiting to be discovered. Welcome to Mindful and Metaphysical, a segment where we will delve into a wild theory, concept, scientific breakthrough, or idea that will help you see the world and our reality through a different lens. Harvard University put out an article that discussed mindfulness meditation and the scientific benefits that it had on the brain. Meditation has ancient religious roots, but it's also become a secular practice implemented to promote well-being and treat depression and anxiety. Skeptics might be weary to jump from spiritual origins to medical treatment, but mounting evidence suggests that meditation can have tangible effects on the brain. In a practice called mindfulness meditation, people concentrate on the present moment, on breathing, physical sensations, sounds, thoughts, and emotions. To brains accustomed to planning, predicting, storytelling, wondering, remembering, regretting, and worrying, really fixating on the present is unusual and can be super challenging. But spending time thinking in this new way produces measurable changes in both the white and gray matter that make up the brain. Gray matter is the portion of the brain that is made up of nerve cell bodies, which release chemical or electrical signals in response to the electrical impulses of the nervous system, while white matter forms connections between the cells, allowing communication between different brain regions. This communication between the gray and white matter in the brain is what constitutes thinking. An interesting Washington Post article by Sarah Laser, a Harvard neuroscientist, stated the first anecdotal claims about the benefits of meditation and mindfulness, and she's tested them in brain scans. What she found surprised her, that meditating can literally change your brain. She explains that she was training for the Boston Marathon, so she started practicing yoga as a form of physical therapy and then realized that it was really powerful with real benefits. The yoga teacher made all sorts of claims that yoga would increase your compassion and open up your heart. And she said that she'd think, yeah, 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 I'm just here to stretch. But she started noticing that she really was calmer. She was better at handling more difficult situations. She was more compassionate. She was more open-hearted. And she was really able to see things from others' point of view. At first, like many, she thought maybe it's just the placebo response. 
but then she did a deep dive into the science and she saw evidence that meditation had been associated with decreased stress, decreased depression, anxiety, pain, insomnia, and an increased quality of life. At that point, she was doing her PhD in molecular biology, so she just switched, and then she started doing this research as a postdoc. The first study looked at long-term meditators versus a control group. They found long-term meditators have an increased amount of gray matter in the insula and sensory regions, the auditory and sensory cortex, which makes sense. When you're mindful, you're paying attention to your breathing, to sounds, to that present moment experience, and shutting cognition down. It stands to reason your senses would be enhanced. They also found the group had more gray matter in the frontal cortex, which is associated with working memory and executive decision-making. So the first question was, well, maybe the people with more gray matter in the study had more gray matter before they started meditating, right? Makes sense to all the skeptics out there. So then they did a second study, taking people who had never meditated before and put one group through an eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction program. From there, Laser found differences in brain volume after eight weeks in five different regions of the brain of those two groups. In the group that learned meditation, we found thickening in four regions. Forgive me if I botch these words. I am no Harvard scientist or doctor. I mean, the closest thing that I got was an essay on the brain that I did in the sixth grade. So there's that. Um, Okay, so one, the primary difference they found in the posterior cingulate, which is involved in mind wandering and self-relevance. Two, the left hippocampus, which assists in learning, cognition, memory, and emotional recognition. Three, the temporoparietal junction, or TPJ, which is associated with perspective-taking, empathy, and compassion. And four, an area of the brainstem called the pons, where a lot of regulatory neurotransmitters are produced. The amygdala, the fight-or-flight part of the brain, which is super important for anxiety, fear, and stress in general, that area got smaller in the group that went to the mindfulness-based stress reduction program. The change in the amygdala was also correlated to a reduction in stress levels, and the data showed changes in the brain after just eight weeks. In this mindfulness-based stress reduction program, the subjects took a weekly class. They were given a recording and told to practice for 40 minutes a day at home, and that's it. And laser study, the average was just 27 minutes a day, okay, about a half hour a day. That's it. We can all do that to help heal our mind and body connection, right? I think I'm going to try to meditate mindfully every single day for 30 minutes. You want to join me? Okay, starseeds, it's time for a soulful send-off. Each week, this will either be a soul card that is drawn for us as a group collective, a beautiful poem, or scripture to inspire your day. This week, I chose to share a beautiful poem on mindfulness and connection, compassion and oneness. It's both sad and beautiful raw and enlightening, and is by that famed Buddhist thought leader we talked about earlier, Thich Nhat Hanh. The poem is called Please Call Me By My True Name. Do not say that I will depart tomorrow, because even today I still arrive. Look deeply. I arrive in every second to be a bud on a spring branch to be a tiny bird with wings still so fragile learning to sing in my new nest, to be a caterpillar in the heart of flower, to be a jewel hiding itself in stone. 
I still arrive in order to laugh and to cry, in order to fear and to hope. The rhythm of my heart is the birth and death of all that are alive. I am the mayfly metamorphosing on the surface of a river, and I am the bird which, when spring comes, arrives in time to eat the mayfly. I am the frog swimming happily in the clear water of the pond, and I am also the grass snake who, approaching in silence, feeds itself on the frog. I am the child in Uganda, all skin and bones, my legs as thin as bamboo sticks, and I am the arms merchant selling deadly weapons to Uganda. I am the 12-year-old girl refugee on a small boat who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate. And I am the pirate, my heart not yet capable of seeing and loving. I am a member of the Politburo with plenty of power in my hands and I am the man who has to pay his debt of blood to my people, dying slowly in a forced labor camp. My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom in all walks of life. My pain is like a river of tears, so full it fills up the four oceans. Please call me by my true names, so I can hear all my cries and my laughs at once, so I can see that my joy and pain are one. Please call me by my true names, so I can wake up, and so the door of my heart can be left open the door of compassion. Pretty profound, right? We are all one. We must remember this and move mindfully through our days for optimal abundance, balance, and healthy well-being. Ancient wisdom has always known what science is now proving. It's up to you to apply this knowledge in your life daily if you want to shift. Remember, you'll take about 23,000 breaths today. How many breaths can you experience with total awareness? How many breaths can you offer up for more inner peace? Well, that concludes another episode of Mindful Divine. For more information, you can check out my website, mindfuldivine.com, where you'll also find insight on therapy sessions, workshops, courses, events, and so much more. Plus, right now, for a limited time, get your free ebook to unlock your purpose at mindfuldivine.com slash online dash courses. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Mindful Divine, where you'll receive exclusive behind the scenes content on the show. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this episode in the podcast app, the iTunes store, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, stay mindful and divine.